Hello and welcome to another podcast. It has been a while since we have recorded and posted. Uh, as always, I'm your host LB. Joining me as always is CT. Evening, folks. So yeah, it's been a little while since we've posted a new episode. Uh, the state of the channel is that we haven't given up on podcasting. Uh, it's just that real life has been a beast lately, and I just haven't had the time to sit down and edit episodes and get them posted. I promise next year, 2022, we are going to get back into a regular swing of things once the holidays are done. Uh, until then... I appreciate those of you who have stuck around and are still listening to us, even though we are posting so sporadically at the moment. Uh, But yeah, since it has been a while, how have you been, CT? It's been a while. I have been okay, but I disagree with this vicious lie that you're saying it's 2022, because surely we are just getting to 2021. I mean... It wouldn't be like a whole year just disappeared into some pandemic-related wormhole. Right? Well, I mean, we have the new Matrix movie coming out now, which isn't the whole point of that, of that the our reality is just one big glitch. <laughs> I, I guess so. I, it certainly seems more and more like that every day. And, uh, me uh commenting on weird things uh saying you know glitch in the matrix has definitely become a lot more prominent in recent years so i suppose we're there even when i feel a bit of normalcy and get to go out to like a movie theater and see something i'm occasionally reminded of uh you know the the various time skips Uh, For instance, I went to the Ghostbusters movie and when I was watching a scene where they were talking about years and discussing all the naming all of them and, you know, this year and the 1984, the year of the first Ghostbusters movie, then on the wall, there's 2021, but they didn't announce the year. And I'm like, oh, they totally said 2020, but. They just visually updated the number and decided to not ADR that line. I was like, damn it. And I just watched The King's Man in theaters, which uh, I remember definitely, you know, being something that was coming up right before COVID settled in. So uh, it it all feels like a big wormy mess. Is The King's Man related to the Kingsman movies that have been coming out over the last couple of years, or is it something Yes, different? it is a direct prequel. It is about the establishment of the organization. So it's all World War One based and uh, coming out, and, uh, uh, you know, the big bads are people like Rasputin and uh, Lenin and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty great. It's more Matthew okay. Vaughn. It is precisely as ridiculous as you think it'll be. So, That's uh, awesome. I really enjoyed the first two movies of that franchise. So, yeah, I wasn't 100% on if it was related or not. So, 
that's the reason why I haven't, you know, like gone out of my way to seek it out or anything. But yeah, absolutely. No, now that I know that it's related, and, I definitely will watch it. I'm pretty sure you'll love it. Hey, we could spin. Let's start a podcast entirely about uh, non weeb related stuff. <laughs> I have enough trouble keeping up with our <laughs> weeb casts. Surely, surely that is the case. So. <laughs> have you watched any good anime lately uh i mean there is a, a little thing that we're gonna talk about now but uh you know if, uh, of some of the seasonal stuff you know i've never been keeping up as much as uh in recent years lately but uh you know i've been waiting for komi-san to uh to be anime for a long time because that's one of my my favorite weekly manga reads. Uh, have I gone back and caught anything? I've been with with a, another set of folks who are doing you know the quote unquote book club format. Uh, I had started uh, with them rewatching uh, Bakemonogatari, and then uh, with with someone else I've been continuing through and just finished Nizemonogatari and I'm, I'm having a very satisfying time redoing uh, the Monogats uh, ra- randomly watching uh, through Ranma after, after there's no more Rinne to watch. I'm like, I shall watch Ranma one half now. So I've been hopping around the landscape and keeping up with a few seasonals, but nothing Nothing truly terribly exciting. Uh, what's the last one I could? What was the last one we just got a movie? Oh yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> and it'll come up in in mention in part here. Uh, Backcross Plus just had that uh, theater release. They uh, basically they just stitch all of the OVAs together, but it it got a, a quiet little theater run, and that was that was good. I haven't watched the. Uh, the various Ghibli fests. I haven't really had the time and don't want to go out a lot. And every Ghibli movie I've seen an awful lot in the theaters. So, right on. Uh, I mean, for me lately, uh, I have recently started dating someone new. We've been together for almost three months now. Uh, and she had experience with anime, but she also has a whole lot of blank spots. So I've been kind of rewatching stuff with her and kind of filling her in on what's been going on over the last few years. Um, hey, that sounds familiar. We should do that? a podcast. That sounds familiar. We should do a podcast like that. <laughs> She's a little too experienced for that ah, podcast. She she has seen she has been shown plenty of weird you know random stuff over the years she just needs a you know a recent refresher but yeah i mean we've been re-watching a bunch of stuff she re- she's really enjoying space brothers excellent yes she just got through hebito's big arc hmm glorious so yeah, so that's been a lot of fun lately, and that's basically been taking up a lot of my time lately. I've been watching a few seasonals here and there. 
uh you know there's some good stuff that's been coming out this year uh we should we should maybe do a best of maybe yeah. but we yeah we don't have to do that. a we don't have to do one of the the year things again necessarily but sort of a a catch-up mini cast wouldn't be bad yeah yeah that'd be fun uh but all right we've been going on for about 10 minutes now we should probably get to our main topic uh main topic for this particular podcast is we are talking about the satoshi kone movie tokyo godfathers tis the season indeed so all right for those who haven't watched it before ct you're a much bigger fan of this movie you have seen it multiple times over give us a brief rundown of what this movie is about it is indeed uh you know i i managed to find a christmas movie that uh suited the tendencies of a lapsed reform jewish atheist which is about 50 percent of reformed jews anyway and it's like ah i still need a christmas movie and uh this one fit the bill right in i guess uh i guess previously i had things like die hard but uh <laughs> but this of course uh suits my uh particular predilection so the the format is uh a bit like <clears throat> excuse me the story of the three magi and there have been many movies about this uh, uh in the past including uh, you know some john ford ones classic american cinema uh but in this case what we have are three homeless uh, folk attending a nativity scene at a church for purpose of, you know, getting food afterward primarily. Uh, and then you start to seep into their perspective uh, of wandering the streets and they are fighting with each other and come across an abandoned infant. And uh, so this becomes a a story of them trying to find the mother of this child and, uh, you know, re return her uh, uh, and make make good, do, do something uh, good. Uh, and we follow them essentially between Christmas morning and New Year's and uh, the, the level of oddity and... Uh, tragic comic <laughs> scenes play out in uh, a wild format to uh, to a rather amazing conclusion to it all uh but really there's there's not a lot to tell about the plot of it so much as the emotion of it so uh i guess in this case since the this will have to be done mostly through your lens of of following along since this is your first time and probably my 20th time <laughs> i think an important thing to uh tamp down first though uh because for me this was very much experienced in satoshi kone uh, you know 
theatrical order. I'd gone through his works and loved, uh, you know, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress. And uh, this was his third movie. Uh, I'd followed through everything pretty much in order and rewatched a number of them a number of times. Uh, so Cone is very much in my my lifeblood and has been for the past couple decades. Uh, so where, what has your exposure over time to Satoshi Kon been? Uh, my exposure to Satoshi Kon started back when I was regularly reviewing DVDs for my original website. Uh, I watched most of Paranoia Agent, and I did not care for it at the time, uh, partially because of the way it was being released. It was back in the age of piecemealing series, sure. so I watched like the first four episodes, and then I took a one or two month break, watched right. the second set of episodes, took a one or two month break, and kind of fell off the wagon at some point uh i just wasn't caring for it at the time uh i've watched i had watched a couple of his movies i watched paprika back in the day and again didn't really care for it but i don't remember it too clearly uh now that i'm an adult however <laughs> uh, now that i'm older than i was then i've gone back and revisited a couple of his pieces. I saw Millennium Actress in the theater and I loved it. Uh, I have not watched a whole lot of his other works uh, lately. This movie, Tokyo Godfathers, was the first Cone movie that I've watched for the first time in a good couple of years. At, and then, you know, beyond that, I hadn't watched Cone in quite a while. So... You know, my experience with this particular director is kind of sporadic at best. And uh, and hopping around, but uh, certainly, right, it, it, it feels like someone who you acclimated to over time. And in fact, you were... To, for me, it's, you know, there's all of his works I, I generally love, but like some of his strongest and uh, most powerful were literally what he started with. You didn't mention Perfect Blue, so I'm not sure if you have watched Perfect Blue. I have not, not yet. Oh my, we will definitely have to fix that. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So the, I guess the, you know, the usual follow-up then from either reputation or other things, what did you know about Tokyo Godfathers prior to going in? And how did you think it might be, you know, fight might fit within his oeuvre and general handling since you kind of came in with Paranoia Agent and his movie immediately prior was Millennium Actress. What do you what did you think Tokyo Godfathers was going to be? Um from based on what I knew about it, I knew the general gist of the story. I knew that it was about three homeless people who find an abandoned baby, and that was about the extent of what I knew about it. I didn't know a whole lot more. 
Um, I wasn't sure about the aesthetic of it. I wasn't sure if it was going to be more cerebral or if it was going to be more grounded. I was pleased to see that it was a little more grounded of an approach uh, rather than something that's more cerebral like Paranoia Agent or a lot of his other works were. Uh, so I appreciated that. I appreciate that it was a more grounded story. The the funny thing is that sounds like there's a but at the end of it. So uh, I suppose let's just uh, dive right in here then uh, from the from the basic setup of it. You know what what did you feel about the introductions of each of the characters and the situation uh, prior to the setup of the the baby who Hana will name Kyoko will be the name of literally a dozen other people in this movie <laughs> approximately yeah um the first act uh where everything was set up and everyone was introduced i thought was a solid introduction i thought that it moved at a really good pace and it set up things and got the ball moving really quickly um so yeah that first act was pretty was decent and i re and i enjoyed it um but <laughs> see here it is i i definitely need to ask because i'm really curious about this um overall I enjoyed this movie. I thought that it was good. I thought it was well done. Um, you know, and I enjoy and I enjoyed it for the most part. However, the way that you described this movie to me and the reverence with which you spoke about it every single holiday season when you were trying to convince me to watch <laughs> this kind of had me expecting a little bit more from this movie and so i'm really kind of just curious just you know putting it all out on the table what were you hoping that i would take away from this movie what were what were you kind of hoping would be my reaction was there anything in particular that you were hoping that i would resonate with or just was it the no, overall presentation or was there anything in particular that you were hoping that i would that would stick out to me i'm kind of just curious about there's there is nothing in particular this sits in a place that i find interesting because a lot you know when it when you grow up uh jewish with your handful of other people maybe in class who have been there is a lot of the christmas holiday joy and spirit that just kind of feels like it's spitting on you a lot of the time so uh the fact that uh, uh miyuki is literally spitting on the people down below uh in the very first scene below a uh, a billboard of uh, an angel crying is amusing to me uh 
part there there are parts of this i've always found the anime's adoption of sort of christian imagery and things like christmas to be interesting to a bystander to it uh because i am i am certainly not religious in any capacity uh i have felt you know rather rolled over by the general christmasification of it and the way that anime tends to handle uh, uh, you know, Christian iconography and uh, other things. It's very, uh, it's very non-religious. It's very unfamiliar. It's very like, oh, here's a little bit of interesting flavor. I mean, we watched Chrono Crusade uh, for for one of these. How much did that have to do with anything? When when Evangelion or uh, Full Metal Alchemist whips out things, you know that. They pull in a flavor of something, uh, but it does not have any particular, you know, reverence for the for the religion, for the culture in general. And I liked the reframing of something that was still in many ways very hopeful and spiritual on sort of a meta level what they're doing but the frame of reference is through three of the lowest people in society not wise men not people carrying riches not anyone going to discover uh the the child of anything but you know they're they get incorporated into this mythos but with a very you know grungy urban aesthetic and yet in the end it's just hopeful and uplifting it brings the stuff that you're usually supposed to draw out of the holiday season but it does it in a way that became more consumable for me in particular because it's it's through anime but in many other ways because it's involving people who are not a part of the tradition and wouldn't be and people who you can actually root for because they've been uh you know rather screwed over by society in general and you're simply hoping for them and the fact that everything just sort of goes in their directions as part of this entire uh, uh, journey and does it without feeling feeling cloying but instead feel still feeling very comedic and interesting yet empathetic and other stuff it it packages Christmas in a way that I can find uh, uh, digestible. Whereas for the most part, it hasn't been for me. There's no specific part of it that I was hoping would resonate, but I just feel like the overall did the, did its particular take on hope and spirituality resonate in a way because it's through a much more modern lens and a non-religious lens even though Hana comes across as very rather religiously spiritual although much more universalist even though she's the only one who's in rapt attention during the nativity scene at the very beginning uh and of course there's the other thing where 
you know, for the most part, the found family aspect of any well-handled work, I think, is appealing on its own. And that's literally what these three are. But again, it's not, it's not, you know, some wayward souls meeting each other on a spaceship and becoming bounty hunters together for a while until a few of them kill each other. It's, <laughs> it's not your normal one there. It's, it's grounded, it's grungy, but in a, in a way that makes it a lot more meaningful that uh, they work, you know, in a family dynamic with each other. But I understand that, similar to an, another uh, uh, anime that we haven't come back to yet, or other things, this this probably has more of an ability to summon up things that you simply find too. I don't know if depressing is the right word, but uh, too stressful in in certain ways or hit home in the wrong way that that makes it unable to enjoy it from others i i certainly don't i empathize with the characters but none of the particular badness of the situations resonate with me being closeless or home to uh close to uh various levels of abuse being uh, uh, having an attempted assassination uh, <laughs> so I understand that it can be torqued around by the uh, by what's going through. So I, I'm not sure I had any particular expectation, except that there are certain things that I will share because I love them a lot. And I simply hope that someone else also will. And I've I found a lot who do, uh, but there are. You know, every every taste is personal and every experience is unique, so not everything is going to resonate in the same way. But that that's kind of the long and short. I, I obviously didn't chat about a lot of the specifics of it, but uh, that that's the that's the top level of uh, of what I love about it. Okay, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier. I enjoyed it. There were parts of it that I'm not sure if I'm interpreting them correctly. So, but they, the way that my brain kind of interpreted them may turn me off a little bit. But again, I'm okay. Let me bring up one example just so that you can tell me if I'm like sure. just completely yeah. off base. Ask me uh, anything. So, in the second act of the movie, where they're making their way towards, you know, trying to find the rightful mother of this newborn child, along the way, they get help from people. And, you know, and it's people that, like with Hana, for example, it was her old club and you know she had an incident there and just couldn't face the people there anymore and that's the reason why she was homeless the young girl you know stabbed her father over you know a big misunderstanding and that's why she couldn't go back and then the and then the older guy with them Gee. yeah you'll have to excuse me for not remembering names um uh he 
you know, had his baggage that he was carrying, uh, that he couldn't go back to face his family because of that. And the way that my brain interpreted this, and again, I openly admit that I may be way off base and maybe interpreting this incorrectly, but it felt like the way the movie was treating those situations was it was kind of glossing it over in a way of saying that, yes, these people have homes that they could go to if they choose to, but they need to, but they have their own emotional baggage and that's the only thing keeping them on the streets. And that didn't gel in my head. It didn't sit right with me. And again, tell me if I'm way off base there. Uh, Well, we can certainly go through. I think Hana's is probably the hardest one because she did effectively you know at the club she did have a uh her own found family at the time but she brought them uh trouble potentially it it seemed implied that it was someone who uh, could have brought down trouble to the club and so she stayed away uh from them to not continue to bring trouble there it's obviously written off a bit but if you feel that you have uh potentially and and, you know a lot of these folks are uh vulnerable community folks so if you feel like you have brought danger to them then you will keep yourself away because you've you know there you have uh uh felt bad for a time hana and ken were able to maintain being a couple but he died. So at that point, you have to assume that there's also a lot of depression and self-loathing that will reinforce it. So once Hana uh, and Ken, once Hana can no longer support, you know, the apartment or other things that she could with Ken, she'll become homeless and won't go back to mother, to the club, to the place that she, the only other place that she had any support simply because you know at that point there's probably going to be psychologically a rather self-destructive cycle going on anyway but there's still the seed event why did she leave doing what what she loved well she brought potentially danger to them and uh, at that point when you lose the love of your life then you're you're going to go down in a spiral. So I, I don't think that even in the situation where where she largely had a better uh, uh, environment to potentially go back to, I don't think it was glossing over, well, why didn't she just go back? She was able to continue existing on the street for a while and wouldn't be able to wouldn't be making trouble for anyone at that point. Uh, Miyuki's version would just be fear. She hasn't been on the street all that long. It's only been six months. But obviously she was, uh, you know, terrified and angry. There was a lot of pain and hurt from her general home life that lashed out. And she stabbed her father, a police officer. So after that point, she's just 
terrified of her home. It's not like she could go back if she thought that, you know, her father didn't respect her and got rid of her cat as like the only source of happiness that she had at her home because he just found it annoying and she reinforced it by basically trying to kill him. <laughs> That's also not an, an easy situation to say, well, I can just go home. We, you know, that, that part of it is the long arc that uh, you get the most things in during the movie. And again, maybe she would try to do it at some point. It seems to be implied that she's made a few attempts, but is uh, too too sad and uh, and unsure and terrified of of what could happen. That's a real that's a real big screw up. Uh, Gin's situation, I think, is just the most literal of of it because there are a lot of homeless men in Japan who became homeless simply due to personal shame, gambling getting over their heads and gambling, uh, drinking problems. It, that seems to be very much literally what happens in Japan a lot. So that would be the most understandable situation. And he wouldn't have had an easy family to come back to, but there's, you know, there's a lot of honor culture stuff going on, but there's also, you know, just a, a particular type of shame that will keep you from it. And, and either... I mean, how often do you see, hear stories about suicides and other things, uh, whether it's the working yourself to death uh, side or the shame side, this would be another one. It's just like, I, I cannot be with my family anymore. I have brought shame to them. There are, there are people looking for me to, uh, uh, to reclaim gambling debts from, and so they just disappear in Tokyo or somewhere else in the country and stay homeless, even though, yes, they could return to their family, but it's very much a, uh, another level of, of psychological lock-in at that point. So I don't okay. really think any of them were glossed over or trivialized. I think some of them are much more recognizable to the culture, uh, uh, and I, I don't find them, I don't find them unreasonable or treated poorly. I'm not sure if that helped reframe things a bit to chew over. Yeah, it. yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, I was fairly certain that I was misinterpreting it. Um, so you know that does frame things a little more clearly for me. It helps it gel a little bit more. Um, so yeah, so I definitely you know, can see the points there. That's a little more clear now. Uh, the other part that I had a little bit of an issue with, not quite as big, but the closing moments of the movie. I was really... The way that it was building up and the way that the climax kind of happened is I, first off, the climax was amazing with, <laughs> with the mother up on the roof and with the baby and the revelation. Yeah, very well done. Did not see that coming at all. Um, 
the closing moments of it, however, I was expecting a little bit more of a tidy resolution. It kind of felt like that's what they were aiming towards, and then all of a sudden they stop. They just stop with the young girl being reunited with her father unexpectedly in the hospital, and then it goes to credits, and there's no and there's no epilogue. That's just the way they choose to end it, and that didn't sit entirely great with me i was i know you know it's this is kind of a personal preference thing but i really would have preferred a little bit more tidy of a resolution there there's possibly something that you missed and it's probably easy to miss for a first time talking but uh to bring to bring through things you have uh you know, you you have the situation with all three of them together and trying to uh, help Kyoko get back to her mother and they go, uh, you know, and meet up with, with Sachiko there. But when you have uh, Gin split off saying, you know, screw this, uh, you know, I didn't want to have anything to do to do with this anyway, and Gin kind of gives up at the time... Uh, and Hana takes off looking for Miyuki, and so they're split for a period of time, and you have the scenes where Gin finds the old man who's basically, you know, the uh, vision of future present. So this is, that's Gin's ultimate destiny, as uh-huh. it were, if he, if he doesn't figure things out. And so when he decides to help the old man and stay with the old man when the kids beat him up, but he still fights for, uh, he fights to reclaim the money that he'd been saving. He still helps the old man and the old man hands him, uh, uh, a bag with his belongings and says the kind of conspiratorial, you know, the, I, I need you to take this and, and hide it because they're, uh, 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 there, there will be people. There will be danger if people find out who I am, and it's just kind of you know a weird little crazy man line uh, at the end. But you know he was there so that the old man didn't die freezing alone. He he died happy and and warm and and drunk. So as <laughs> as, as hopefully will we all. Uh, <clears throat> but so you advance forward to another scene where. Uh, they're at the hospital after Hana has collapsed and Gin is able to pay for her treatment. But while they're in the lobby, there is some just background scenes talking about things. A rare line of ones winning a lottery, uh, like a payout of 200 million yen or something like that. So uh, actual serious things. Uh, uh, but you have, as part of that scene where Gin, because he fought for his money, is able to pay for, uh, Hana's treatment and bring, and after he's willing to let that money go, which he was saving for his daughter, he's to help Hana, then he meets his daughter face to face, and Hana gets to pull off the old, uh, red ogre, blue ogre scene, which, which I know for many animes. (laughs) 
including mm-hmm. ReZero yeah. most recently, Automotive Atari. That that gets played out a lot. But so there's you know there's connection between the two of them. Gin is not gonna you know have to do with his ex, but he wants some kind of connection with his daughter, and you can see that that has a path forward. So it's not like Gin has no resolution. Uh, but as part of this, when we go to the other hospital at the end, after the uh, amazing landing, there's one thing that happens while they're moving around. Hannah's complaining about being in the men's ward next to uh, Gin. So, you know, there's a little bit of kicking at her right at the, uh, right at the very end, even still. But uh, Miyuki puts Gin's coat away and the old man's bag falls to the ground and you see that he has the winning lottery ticket of one 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 one. So pr- just prior to the actual parents who want these three to be godfathers to their or godparents to their child, uh, and Miyuki, who's about to be face to face reunited with uh, her father, there's also the fact that you know they have essentially been rewarded with a way out for all of them, together or not, Hana and Gin can certainly do something. But effectively, they also have $2 million sitting there on the floor, which they will certainly figure out after the credits roll. So we we have another level of something where it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's nice. And of course, it's the whole series of events and the characters doing the the more empathetic uh, things. It, it It's following a more righteous path uh, as you want, whether whether you want to call it that way, but being better people than being willing to make themselves better because all of them have largely been leaving themselves down in their, in their homeless psychological funk. So being able to decide to change uh, the whole chain of events brings something that can bring them out of it at the end. So you, you indeed don't have a specific direct uh, uh, aftermath for Gin or Hana, but you know that technically all three of them have effectively come across a lot of money and can bring themselves out and make something of them of themselves. And Miyuki has been reunited with her father after also finding out that you know it was a misunderstanding and uh but she's been terrified of the whole time there's obviously a lot of bad home life that was there but it didn't extend as far as you know getting rid of her cat and it also reveals that you know her parents want her home so uh you you get to have the the come up, uh, uh, the the express one between the two of them, and you've been bouncing off it because she and her father see each other on the trains, and she freaks out and runs, but mm. she tries to call him later. So that's that's Miyuki's arc that's running through, and Gin and Hana have more history, and you get a bit more in sort of backstory telling, including when Gin is busy lying to them. <laughs> uh, so in a in a way the the best scene between them is with uh, Gin and his daughter Kyoko in the hospital and after Hana effectively sacrifices 
herself, believing at that time that it would be. It's like, okay, I have given Gin a way out, and I will go back to, you know, the homeless thing. Now, maybe she might consider going back to Mother's at that point. They they already had a uh, a good scene in that regard, and she knew that she also had some path out, but uh, they could... The, you still got the, you know, the, the depth of the caring between those two characters specifically at that point, and both of them have a way out, and both of them are given effectively a gift at the end. So I don't think there's much... You know, I don't think there's much more resolution that we need technically from it. There's always, you know, you want to see, you want an afterward where you see more better for the people you like. But I don't think there's any unclarity as to what will happen. And and it's not like Miyuki was given her gift and uh, and the others were not. It just doesn't all happen at the at the very end. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I I did miss the lottery ticket. So, yeah, so that makes a little more sense now. So, I guess flipping back around, we can just chat, you know, what what were some of your favorite scenes or, you know, least believable uh coincidences <laughs> or uh <laughs> funniest running jokes what uh what what brought the most uh uh joy from uh the the comedic aspect of it because I, I think that's one of the things that struck me the most just just to sidebar about cone because of how dark and truly psychologically weird perfect blue is uh the structure of the movie is is completely uh uh disjointed and you basically can't trust anything that's going on and that's rather like millennium actress there is sort of a failure of memory and other things there's a dream state that's running through it the whole time and you're busy you know just kind of floating through a panorama of uh things happening that you're trying vainly to keep up with uh and then you would expect something similar there, but I guess Kona had largely free reign, and was like, "Well, I'm just gonna, t- I'm gonna do a grounded comedy now." Although grounded simply because there's not, you know, the the out there that he'd been doing before. Obviously, it is still out there in other ways, but it's, uh, you know, it's very much uh, another modern urban Japanese uh, treatment, but in this case, a, you know, a a weird kind of religio adventure comedy. Uh, (laughs) And so part of what I, I love about it overall is that even when things are getting real screwed up here and there, the, the comedy uh, uh, through lines that go on are are done very well, even sometimes when it's right in the middle of uh, like a shooting scene. <laughs> so, so I will I will cede the floor again so that you can pick it up. I just had to frame. Yeah, no worries. Uh, my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, there were little bits just here and there. I couldn't choose like a running gag or anything like that that kind of stood out to me but i mean the first thing that stood out to me that i really liked 
um, was that I really enjoyed uh, how it was telling a story from the perspective of people who normally don't get a voice, in particular, A, three people who are homeless, and one person who is a sexual or gender minority. Uh, that's not something that I'm used to seeing in anime, period. Uh, it doesn't, it's becoming a little more, a little more prevalent over the last few years. Um, but back when this movie was made, I can't think of another example of an anime from that era that had, you know, representation like this movie did and that really stood out to me as some as a really bold choice certainly concur uh cone of course pushed basically female leads in in all of his films yeah and uh this one in particular is almost 20 years ago oh my god that that's hard to think about but almost 20 years ago <laughs> Uh, and and Hana is you know the strongest uh, uh, person out of all of them, and uh, effectively two of the uh, three leads in this case are are female. Although I guess at the time I'm trying to remember now, it's probably interesting to see how the subtitles have been translating certain lines. Uh, over time dealing with with Hana, but uh, you know she's quite explicitly trans at that point and, that, and that's almost one of the uh, first jokes as she's getting knocked down even by Gin and even by uh, Miyuki but uh, while they're online waiting for the food and one of the ladies is just ladling them out and uh, Hana was wishing for a uh, Christmas miracle that God would uh, grant her a child. So, you know, still talking about the uh, the nativity scene. And then after they've found uh, Kyoko and are trying to decide what to do, and they're wandering through a, uh, a train tunnel, that same lady is coming down an escalator and sees them and sees Hana holding and cooing over an infant. And she's like, it is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, definitely uh, one of one of the earlier funnier bits to me. Yeah. Uh, and then if I had to choose like an, a favorite scene from or sequence from throughout the entire movie, it would be in the third act when Jin or Gin is chasing after the truck on the bicycle that whole sequence there when he was chasing down the truck and trying to get it to stop was amazing to me. I thought it looked really good. Uh, I thought it was really just well done in general. Uh, the emotion was certainly there, especially with the revelation of the whole of the mother to begin with. <laughs> right. It, it yeah. starts off by basically him pantomiming that Sachiko is not the real mother. And then they're mm -hmm. like, everyone's going like, ah, job well done to, oh crap. <laughs> and then they go yeah. dashing off in the city and the, 
the literal lights of the city and babies crying are leading them back to uh, to Sachiko. Uh, and then, of course, as uh, Gin is taking off on the uh, bike, Hana interrupts the... Uh, uh, <laughs> you get the taxi driver replay again. Mm-hmm. So we've seen that same taxi driver who drives cab uh, 12-25, by the way. So I, uh, I liked the use of amusing Christmassy numbers throughout as well, along with the angel motif, which, uh, which constantly intrudes, but, uh, uh, then almost acts like hitting on the taxi driver, but it was just to butter him up because it's like, we don't, <laughs> and who's very forgiving when we don't have the fare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just turn into chase that thing and again falls back on the bike and is holding on to the taxi and gets pushed forward by the taxi driver freaking out uh and and then gets gets in the car the car crashes into the building he's thrown out and uses his body to uh uh to shield the baby uh everything is just you know ramping up more and more towards the climax uh but you notice that in each of these scenes, along with part of it, I mean, they, they run around, someone gets shot protecting another guy. Uh, they're dealing with harassment and, a, you know, an irascible drunk and a little conbini, and everyone goes outside to argue and then an ambulance crashes into it, which would have killed a bunch of them. They, uh-huh. they take a tumbling uh, truck... <laughs> out and get up and are fine from it there's there's a level of uh you know warner brothers-esque cartoonish indestructibility going on here probably the only cone work in which no one no one dies uh through you know through violence in this case or Mm. or some crazy act sachiko the only one who does die is the old man but peacefully and as part of you know, giving sort of a, a rebirth to Gin in some ways. So, uh, yes, the uh, the weird action scenes that go on that that's it. It feels very uh, there's a there's a lot of it that comes across kind of Three Stooges esque uh, and uh, Keystone Cops esque. <laughs> in it and uh, serves the the comedy well. Yeah, if I had to choose like a favorite joke in general, it would just be that poor taxi driver. <laughs> uh, I couldn't choose like a favorite bit that he was in, but that poor cab driver just had the worst night. <laughs> Uh, so I guess who did you you know feel the most for or the worst for of the not not just uh, you know our main folks but of the extended cast because all all of them are in various levels of messed up. Our our main cast, of course, is you know some things are faults of their own, but much of it is society and circumstance, and they're obviously in the uh, the worst condition of everyone there but you know you you run across uh sachiko and her husband and uh 
and everything. There's there's a whole lot of grime in this city that you you travel through the whole time. So I guess who who amongst the the characters are you uh, least empathetic towards versus uh, uh, enjoyed the most? Um, it's hard to say if there's a character that I empathize with the least. I mean, because everyone in this movie was messed up enough that I couldn't just, you know, turn a blind eye and say, you know, oh, they had it coming or whatever. Um, there's, you know, there's just no way I could do that to anybody in the movie, really. Um, in terms of who I enjoyed the most or who I felt the most empathy for, um, I'd say probably Hana. Uh, I think that's probably where most of my empathy was, mostly because, again, uh, it was a trans woman who you know, had a life and then lost it through various means um, that none of which felt like it was particularly her fault. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that the other characters <laughs> had, it know, had, had it coming <laughs> or uh, that were deserving of their misery. But Hana, I think, is the one who stood out the most. I uh, I think that's you know a rather universal uh, uh, appreciation. Uh, Hana also ends up being, I think her personality crosses the the most levels, and of course she starts with a bit more hope and grace than the others as well. But there there is a kabuki-like comedic quality to Hana's facial expressions a bit more than Gin's and a bit more than uh, Miyuki's. All of them have their moments, but uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of it. Even the way certain things uh, like her running later is conveyed in animation that uh, she's definitely larger than uh, most of the other characters in the movie, and in in many ways, you know, the the emotional center around which uh, you can most effectively ride. Did you have any other points that you wanted to discuss or bring up, or was there anything else that you wanted to hear my thoughts on, or...? I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, we can I feel like this is something that I would like to experiment with you. I don't know how uh uh how uh desirous you would be to rewatch this either ever or at some point, but I think this would be an interesting thing to rewatch at another season and see you know what has changed since the the first time we've never tested a a rewatch we all rewatch our own things when we're doing expanding horizons but not really so much something together and re-experiencing something we did on cast once and then doing it again uh to see if it would change but uh i i might like to attempt to experiment 
back with you at some point, but we'll discuss that down the line. Okay. Uh, I think the only other thing that I would like to do is give a a shout out to um, the screenplay uh, writer. Cohn did a lot of the writing and of course did a lot of the uh, contributions, but the screenplay was done by Keiko Nobumoto, who just at the beginning of this month uh, passed away. Uh, this month being December, <laughs> provided this lands in December. Uh, who she does not have a large body of work, but what she does have is kind of mind-blowing, because she was, for instance, a uh, head writer for Cowboy Bebop and Wolf's Reign. Uh, she was in Samurai Champloo and most recently Carolyn Tuesday, so <laughs> obviously has a fairly uh, tight connection with, uh, with Watanabe. But uh, she also did Macross Plus, which I just was able to see in the theaters, and Tokyo Godfather is here. And I, I think for the most part, that's, uh, that's an extraordinary set of things to, uh, to tamp down under your name. And uh, sadly, like Cone uh, himself, she uh, is gone far too soon. She was uh, only 57, so taken by cancer, as was he, uh, which is, which is as always a damn shame, but, uh, I felt that, uh, I should mention her as well. I, I kind of wished that I knew how the two of them interplayed for the most part, uh, because I, I think it's an extraordinary work, certainly, between the both of them. I'm fine leaving it at that. Unless you have anything else you would uh, like to share. No, I think we can wrap things up at that point. As mentioned, I am hoping that by the time you all are listening to this, December 2021 has not concluded. <laughs> However, like I mentioned at the top of the show, is real life has just been a beast lately. Um I am sincerely hoping that I'm able to get this up, but if this is up in January, you know, or even later than that, I sincerely apologize, but hopefully I can get this up before the end of the year. Okay. So, alright, on that note, thank you, CT, for joining me for another fun discussion. It was a blast, as always. Thanks, it was fun times. And thank you to all of you for listening to this and sticking it out with us, even though we haven't been posting as regularly. Uh, I hope that you will have a great new year, and I hope you'll continue listening to us. So have a great time, everybody. Happy holidays, however you choose to celebrate. Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 22.